since that few of you could relate to some of those experiences portrayed there. Good instructions. Fight for your marriage. We read in God's Word some instructions regarding marriage. And I want to read a few verses to begin with found in Ephesians chapter 5 where Paul is giving instructions under the guidance of the Holy Spirit about marriage. And in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 25, we read these words. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Skipping down. Verse 32 of that same chapter, Ephesians chapter 5, we read, This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. One of the great things about Christian faith, one of the great things about following Christ as opposed to many of the other religions and faith traditions of the world is that we have the greatest examples to follow in scripture recorded in scripture and those are the actions of God himself we're not primarily motivated by fear to obey God or to be faithful to God not saying that that certainly doesn't play a role but our primary motivation to pursue faithfulness to God and Faithfulness in our marriage, faithfulness in our relationships, faithfulness in all spheres of our lives is because we have the grace of God that has been shown us through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have this analogy here. Paul sort of oscillates in scripture in this chapter between the relationship between Christ and his church and the relationship between a husband and a wife in the home. Obviously, something is being communicated in God's word here and elsewhere To say that marriage, in God's plan, is to mirror the relationship that he has already established, that he has already displayed through his love for his people, the church. The truth that I want us to see from God's word this morning, the key principle that I think we find in our text for today in Genesis chapter 20, is that since God desires marriage purity, his people must faithfully preserve their marriages. Since God desires marriage purity, His his people, people of faith, must faithfully preserve their marriages. Let me invite you to open up God's Word with me as we continue in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 20. And Some of you may be thinking that we've just been traveling in circles and that we're never going to get out of Genesis. I promise that we are. We're going to be in Genesis a few more weeks and then... First Sunday of May, we'll transition and look at a New Testament book together. We're going to look at Paul's letter to the church at Colossae, Colossians. But I hope through our time together in God's Word and through a book, even so ancient of a book such as Genesis, that we're beginning to see that the principles that we read about, the principles that we learn in God's Word are timeless. They are instructive and helpful and applicable for us even today. We'll look at another old story together, but a story in which God expresses his desire and his expectations for 
those who enter the covenant of marriage. Genesis chapter 20, I'll begin reading there in verse 1. Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Read verse 2 again. For a while Abraham stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Abimelech, king of that area, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. Now, upon first reading of these couple of verses, for some, perhaps for many of you, you may sense what the French have termed déjà vu. This sounds familiar. Something is going on. Have we been here before? Are we sure we're not going in circles in this book of Genesis? Perhaps you remember from your own reading of, of this book, of God's Word, or from our current message series, that this is not the first time that this has happened. This is not the first time that this man Abraham lied about the identity of his wife. We read in Genesis chapter 12 that he did that some time back when they were in Egypt because of a famine in the land. And we read there that Abraham feared for his own life because of the beauty of his wife Sarah. So he had instructed her, tell Tell the officials there, tell Pharaoh there that you are my sister. And as a result, she's taken into Pharaoh's household to be one of his wives. And the Lord intervened in that moment, in that time, brought plagues, brought diseases on that household to the point that Pharaoh confronted Abraham about this and said, Get out of here. I don't want anything to do with you. Take all your stuff. Take much of my stuff. Gives him all sorts of possessions and kicks him out of the land. And you would think that Abraham had learned his lesson. Then, first time around, in fact, this is a pattern that has been set by Abraham and one that doesn't just impact him. We read several chapters later as the story unfolds in God's word in the book of Genesis that their own son, Abraham and Sarah's son Isaac, later followed this same practice, describing his wife as his sister, implying to us as readers of stories like this that Taking another man's wife and disposing of that man must not have been an unheard of practice in that day. It's out of fear. They put their own marriages in jeopardy. The purity of their own marriages in jeopardy. Acting with faithlessness. A lack of faith in God. The truth for us is that faithlessness from God's people threatens God's program. Faithlessness from God's people threatens God's program. You'll remember from Genesis chapter 12, the opening verses, that God had called Abraham. He set him apart. He called this family, this couple, for a special purpose. To be the ancestors of a, a new people, a great nation of people that would be His people, that would walk by faith in Him, and He would be their God. And even perhaps greater than that, These would be the people that many generations later would would bring forth an offspring who would be the Son of God, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But even so, in a moment of fear, once again, Abraham 
is acting in faithlessness on two levels. Faithlessness in the sense of a lack of faith in God and God's protection and God's provision and the plans of God and faithlessness in the sense of infidelity to the marriage covenant. to The marriage relationship that God had brought together between this couple. I think it's important for us to to notice this morning and to think about this morning that oftentimes this very thing happens in our day. Happens in our culture. Happens among us. Happens by us where our actions begin to, to jeopardize God's program. Our actions begin to threaten God's program. Remember back to Ephesians chapter 5 and that passage that I read just moments ago that the marriage relationship as God has set it forth in His Word between a husband and wife is to reflect something far greater than the marriage itself. It's to be a tangible picture before the world of the gospel, of the good news of salvation by grace through faith as Christ Himself, the Son of God Himself, has laid down His life for His people in the greatest act of love for His bride, the church. So as people of faith, as people of God, we are called to mirror that relationship because Christ is always faithful to His bride. You and I are to be faithful to our spouse. It's no surprise, it's no secret that marriages are dissolving today at alarmingly rapid rates. Marriages are falling apart left and right to the point that Many millennials, young people in their 20s and 30s want nothing to do with marriage. Fewer and fewer people are getting married because it's just too risky. What if it doesn't work out? What if we're not compatible? What, what then? This is a natural byproduct of decades of celebrating sexual freedom and Personal independence and self-centeredness. So it should come as no shock to us. In fact, just yesterday I was waiting on my game of choice to come on yesterday evening in the NCAA tournament. And uh, some other games were finishing up. really didn't care too much about those. And so my wife asked me, hey, can we please watch something else? And I said, sure, you can watch whatever you want for the next 20 minutes. And then... <laughs> 7.50, there's a game coming on, and I want to see it. But she begins to turn the channel, and I hear what's on TV, and begin to check it out. And there's some show, I think it's maybe on A&E, and it's called Married at First Sight. Anybody ever heard of it? Seeing a few nods. Married at First Sight. And basically, what I gather the premise of the show is, is that these marriage experts, or these relational experts, uh, choose different candidates, uh, of course, who are willing to participate in this project, so to speak, and uh, they try to match them up with other people that they think will be compatible with them. And in the end, if they agree to this, within a matter of days, uh, they marry that person. And they don't ever talk to that person. They don't ever see that person until their wedding day. They're completely at the mercy of these professionals. And As that was on TV for a few minutes, one of the candidates, a young man, was being interviewed and he was excited about you know, what was going to unfold, sort of the mystery of the whole process. And he was asked, well, you know, isn't this risky? Isn't this kind of dangerous? I mean, and this was his response. He said something like, well, 
if it doesn't work out, I can always get a divorce. Well, I, I can bet, and you can too, if, if you're married or have ever been married, that it's not going to work out. And marriages that start that way don't work out. The reality is that we are called to display through faithful marriages, we are called to participate, to display the greatest love story in history. And that's the story of God redeeming a broken people for himself through the gospel of Jesus Christ. God desires us, folks, as his people, as part of his church, as part of his bride. He desires us to To remain pure in our marriages and to remain committed to preserving our marriages. And we ought to participate in this and do this by cultivating a Christ-honoring marriage. Cultivate a Christ-honoring marriage. Seek a Christ-honoring marriage. Do everything you can if you are married, if you are preparing for marriage, to cultivate a Christ-honoring marriage. And this is not to say that All people are called to marriage. We know this is not the case. We have examples in Scripture of people like Paul, people like Jesus himself, many others who who were not married, yet God used in great ways for his purposes, for his plans. We have the instructions that Paul gave to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 7, where some are instructed, instructed to marry regarding their circumstances, based on their circumstances. Others are Instructed to remain single, pursue the glory of God in their singleness. But wherever we find ourselves, single, dating, married, divorced, wherever we find ourselves, we as people of God are called to purity in our relationships. We're called to preserve and to protect and to promote God's picture of marriage that is a display of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As you know, this is not easy. It takes prayer. It takes accountability. It takes hard work. It takes boundaries. It takes fixing our eyes on on Jesus Christ. And the good news in Abraham's life was that even though he had made a, a big mistake here once again, jeopardizing the purity of his own marriage, putting his own marriage And compromised, the Lord intervened to protect his plans. God often intervenes. He often shows up. He intervenes to preserve his program despite human faithlessness. Despite our failures. Despite our shortcomings. And we certainly have those. God intervenes to preserve his program. Let's look at how he did this in Abraham's life in Genesis chapter 20 as we pick up the story in verse 3. And this is just after the king, King Abimelech, had taken Sarah to be his wife, thinking that she was unmarried, thinking that she was Abraham's sister. Verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord... Will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and with clean hands. 
And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Perhaps we'd be better off in our day and in our culture. Every time someone began to slide down the slippery slope of adultery, God showed up and he said, don't you touch her. Don't you touch him. You're as good as a dead man. You're as good as a dead woman. For the person you are thinking about is a married person. This is what... This is what God did here in this particular situation. Showing up to preserve his plans and to protect the sanctity of the marriage between Abraham and his wife, Sarah. And we ought to praise God that that his promises are not dependent on us. That his big picture promises and plans and purposes, his agenda in the world, in his kingdom, is not totally dependent on us. His intervention here shows that marriage covenant that he had designed, that he had established, was important to him. That faithfulness within the marriage covenant is important. And it also shows us that, that his plans are important. After all, this was the couple that at this point in their marriage, at this point in their life, are expecting within the next year the birth of the promised child that they have been waiting on year after year, decade after decade. In fact, in the very next chapter, the opening verses This son, Isaac, is finally born. But in this moment, in this occasion, in Gerar, that birth is put in jeopardy. I love what one author, what one scholar says about the events recorded here in Genesis chapter 20 in the context of God's word. He writes, on the brink of Isaac's birth story, here is the very promise put in jeopardy. Traded away for personal safety, Get this, if it is ever to be fulfilled, it will owe very little to man. Morally, as well as physically, it will clearly have to be achieved by the grace of God. Of all people, you and I, followers of Jesus, Christians, people of faith, people that believe the words of this book ought to know that some things in life can only be accomplished by the grace of God. And this was one of them. And by God's grace, he intervened. Showing up in a dream. Telling Abimelech, hey, you've got, to, you've got to make things right. Return the wife to her husband. And God doesn't always show up and intervene in such a dramatic way. But we do have a promise from his word in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. That God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So we ought to, as people of God, cultivate a Christ-honoring marriage. But we also ought to recognize that when temptation comes our way, and it will, it does continually. When temptation comes our way, we ought to look for a way out that God has provided for us. Because his word promises us that he will. It may come through a phone call. It may come through the Spirit's conviction in your life. It may come through some other extraordinary circumstance. But whenever it comes, recognize it, look for it, and take that way out. Because God desires us 
be pure in our marriages for the sake of preserving our marriages. His word gives us all sorts of instructions and cautions and warnings. God is a a God who's known for intervening, for protecting his plans and his purposes, intervening for protecting his children. And we ought to thank God for warnings, protection, and instruction. Thank God that he is a God that is not totally distant from his creation. He's not a God that, as many deists have believed, sort of sets things in motion and then steps back and wants nothing to do with it. No, he is a God who is intimately involved in the affairs of this world. He is a God who is intimately involved in our lives and given us warnings, offered us protection, and he's given us instruction. It's exactly what he did with this King Abimelech. You and I, as people of faith, ought to, ought to consider and recognize his warnings. We ought to thank him for his protection. We ought to heed his instruction. After all, that's what this king did. Let's look at the rest of the story. Genesis chapter 20, picking up in verse 8. God has appeared to Abimelech in a dream and said, Return the man's wife. You're as good as, as a dead man if you don't. Verse 8, early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials. And when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You have done things to me that should never be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides... She really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, This is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, He is my brother. Verse 14 Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham, and he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, My land is before you. Live wherever you like. Sarah, he said, I am giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offense against you before all who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Folks, the awareness of sin provides an opportunity to show integrity. The awareness of sin, the realization that sin has taken place, an offense has taken place, that you've missed the mark of God's standard. You've fallen short of his standard. The awareness of that reality provides an opportunity for for you and I to display integrity. We see this on two levels with two different people in this particular story. We see it firstly with Abraham and we also see it with Abimelech. Abimelech, upon finding out this news that he's essentially married another man's wife unknowingly, makes every effort to restore things to the rightful place. He goes and he confronts Abraham. He says, what have you done? Why have you lied to me? Why did you bring this guilt upon my life, upon my family? If you ask me, this is the perfect place for Abraham to sort of own up to what he's done and say, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. I doubted God. I did not believe God. I did not trust in God. I put your own life, your own family in jeopardy. I am sorry. Please accept my apology. But that's not what he does here. We have no record of that here. This great man of faith, Abraham, comes up with a lame excuse. 
believed, there would be no fear of God in this place. In other words, that you wouldn't worship the true God. You wouldn't care. Be faithful and obedient. and Follow the ways of God. So I told my wife, say you're my sister. We have this sound bite here between this earlier conversation sometime back between Abraham and Sarah in verse 13. He says, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. In other words, Abraham sometime back told Sarah, hey, you want to show me you love me? Here's how you can show your spousal love to me, your spousal loyalty to me. When we meet other people and they look more powerful than I am and they look like they might like you and get rid of me, then you say, I am your brother. How ironic that that if she follows his advice, and she does, the very thing she's doing and they are doing together shows no spousal loyalty at all. No love for each other at all. No No value of the relationship, the marriage relationship that they have that God has brought together. In fact, it's a very display of faithlessness. Faithlessness from God's people disgraces God's program. Faithlessness from God's people disgraces God's program. It brings criticism to God's plans, program, His agenda. Just like a child that brings shame on their parents when they do things or say things that they ought not to say. Our actions, our thoughts, our attitudes, our words, our actions reflect in the eyes of the world the God that we serve. And that's not to say that God's worth or His character changes. It's it's not dependent on what we do. He is worthy of our praise all the time. He's worthy of our devotion all the time. His character is unchanging. But in the eyes of the world, what they believe about the God that, that we serve, that we say we worship, is most often influenced by what we say and do. And so... Remember, we don't feel like following God's way. Remember, we don't feel like following the path that God has laid out for us in Scripture, the path of faithfulness. We ought to pursue faithfulness for God's glory. Pursue faithfulness for God's glory. The unpopular truth today is that purity is best for all parties involved. It is, really, despite Hollywood, despite the message of our culture, it is best for all involved. Yet even when we don't feel like purity, even when we don't feel like preserving and protecting our marriages and God's institution of marriage, we ought to do so simply for the sake of God's reputation, simply for the glory of God, because the truth is, If you're married, your marriage is not just about you. Your morality is not just about you. Your relationships are not just about you. Your actions are not just about you. Your life, your marriage, your morality, all of you is actually more about the one who created you than it is about you and me. For God is our maker. The one who gives us life 
who sustains our life. He's the one that has called us to be His people. He's the God that has redeemed us. Not only is He responsible for our physical life and well-being, but according to the Word of God in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we were bought at a price. Your body's no longer your own. Your life is no longer your own. If you're a follower of Jesus, God has bought you at the price of his own son, Jesus Christ. He has paid the penalty that you and I deserve. And as a result, we are not our own. We are his. And we are commanded and instructed to honor God with our bodies. I think this is the idea that that we are God's. That he is worth all of us. Every area, every Every corner of our lives, every relationship in our lives. This is perhaps the truth that led the hymn writer, that led the songwriter to say, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. I surrender all. I surrender all, all to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. We see that faithlessness from God's people disgraces God's program. And we also learn here from the actions of the other character in this story that's confronted with the sin, with King Abimelech, that repentance includes restitution. Repentance includes restitution. It includes steps to restore the wrong that has been done. It includes steps to make things right. To walk forward on a different path, a new path, like Zacchaeus when he encountered the grace of God in the New Testament as a tax collector who had cheated many people, began to repay people more than he had taken from them. Abimelech begins to take steps, take the necessary actions to make things right. If you've done wrong, have you taken necessary steps to make things right? If you've been unfaithful, have you taken the steps to make things right? After all, that is, folks, the way of the gospel. Way of repentance when, when Christ bids us to come and follow Him, to pursue Him, to receive salvation in Him. He calls us to do more than just muddle the words, I'm sorry, like a child being forced to repent or to apologize over something they're not really sorry for. No, He calls us to turn away from sin and to embrace life in Him. And to walk forward as if He is not just Lord of the universe, Lord of all creation. He is the Lord of your life, of my life. He is the Master. He is the Savior. He is the one who calls the shots. As believers, we're called to to turn away from the pattern of this world. Called to Not conform to the pattern of this world, the way of thinking and living that is so prevalent in our world today, but we are called to a transformed life, a renewed mind, a life that values and pursues walking by faith in the God of Scriptures. And the good news for us is that He is directly involved in that process for His people, that He is involved in transforming us more and more day by day to be found in His image. And the conclusion of this story, the final two verses, verses 17 and 18, we read about one method that God often uses to spark that transformation process, and that is prayer. Look back at Genesis chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. 
Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his female slaves, so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Folks, prayer restores life. Prayer restores life. The author of life, the one who is sovereign over all creation, invites us to have the privilege of conversing with him through prayer. Prayer brings restoration. Prayer brings healing. I don't know where you are today. Perhaps you're sinking in sin. You're dealing with unconfessed sin in your own life. As we all often do as long as we are in this world. We need to be reminded that the God that we serve, the God that we worship, the God who loves us, invites us day by day to confess sin to Him. And we have the promise of His Word in 1 John 1, 9 that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins always. Forgive us our sin always and purify us from all unrighteousness. Perhaps your marriage is on the brink of dissolving. Let me encourage you. Let me invite you. Let me beseech you on the basis of God's word to embrace the gift of prayer. Embrace the gift of prayer. Perhaps you have been unfaithful in a relationship that God has established, a marriage relationship. If that is you, then you too embrace the gift of prayer. Perhaps you're the victim of unfaithfulness, of infidelity in a marriage relationship. You too, embrace the gift of prayer, for prayer brings restoration and prayer brings healing. Wherever you are today, wherever you find yourselves, whatever circumstances you are in, embrace the gift of prayer. Folks, a story like this in Genesis chapter 20 where God is so intentional about intervening in order to preserve the sanctity of marriage and to prevent the destruction of marriage ought to cause us as his people to follow that same path. To value the things that he values, to fight for the things that he has ordained and established. Since God desires marriage purity, we as his people must faithfully preserve our marriages. If you're married today, is your marriage providing a picture before the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're single, are your actions portraying that you value the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you're a young person that is planning to be married someday, are your actions now, are your relationships now preparing you to display the gospel of Jesus Christ through your marriage? Folks, this is This is not the way of the world. This is not the way of our culture. But this is the way that God has provided and called us to follow in his word. Folks, are are our words, our actions, conversations, all that we're doing, encouraging other believers to provide a picture before the world of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For the glory of Jesus Christ. Father, we're grateful.
for your word. We're grateful for the truths that are found in it. We acknowledge that, that your word is good. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do a, a great work in each of us as we seek to be faithful as your people, as we seek to follow you. Lord, as we seek to examine our own actions and thoughts and attitudes and values and practices in accordance with the truths that are spelled out in your word. Lord, may may your spirit work through your word in our lives today, tomorrow, this week, Lord, and throughout our lives to proclaim your gospel through, through us. Lord, lead us now as we respond to you, as we respond to the truths of your word. Lord, may you be glorified in us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen.